Hello and welcome to the Nine Points Podcast. I am your host, BH. Thank you so much for joining us again here at the Nine Point Podcast, where the main focus is to empower families, increasing um, insight, interpersonal communication skills, problem solving, eliminating excuses, and applying the fruit of the Spirit of God to our day-to-day problems. Again, my name is BH, and on today's podcast we're going to start off well we're going to start off talking about the fruit of the spirit and um a common question that has come up from time from time to time not only in my own life but in the lives of other people friends family members and strangers and that is um dealing with different types of uh perspectives of god uh that is revealed in the in the bible to try to to at least try to give some um, some clarity on some things that tr- that uh, that are confusing at times, and then also the next step for uh, for Z time, we're going to talk about the lust of the eyes. Remember, the last podcast was three squared, and um, I said that first was going to be the lust of the flesh. Then today is going to be the lust of the eyes, and then the next podcast I have with Z time is going to be. Uh, the pride of life. So uh, since it's been a while since I've uh, since we've done this, I want to remind everybody, or, or if this is your first time tuning in, that the inspiration behind this podcast is Galatians chapter five, verses uh, twenty-two and twenty-three, and that reads as follows: But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And it is our position here at the Nine Points Podcast to labor, to utilize those, uh, those attributes, to utilize those gifts, those resources in our closest relationships by learning how to communicate and treat our closest relationships this way and make that the new norm, then we can, in, um, in our lifetime, we can learn how to help people that are coming behind us to recognize that respect is more important than fear and help to replace uh, some of the reasons that we do certain things, not just to avoid punishment, but to do what's right for the sake of what's right. And to explain and reveal how what seems like at initially uh, is is hard or possibly even unnecessary is very necessary and is, in fact, the only way to do something the right way. It might take a couple of extra steps initially, but the payoff is is what we're worried about. It's big picture, not the snapshot. It's the big picture or the movie. Um, that's what our goal is to have a good movie. So with that in mind, again, um, I would encourage you from, you know, if you don't memorize it, have your Bible ready and, and always refer back to Galatians, uh, 5, 22, 23, and refer to the fruit of the spirit, um, day to day, or especially when you listen to this podcast to help to understand why the things that we're seeing are coming out the way that they are. Um, if you wonder why there are certain things we don't talk about, um, go back to that. Um, if you wonder why the tone of it is a certain way, go back to that. This is about problem solving. It's not about it's not about blaming. It's not about labeling. It's not about saying what other people do that um, that we need to that that needs to be corrected. This is about this is very very personal. What we need to do to correct ourselves so that we can live the life that we were designed to live. So with that in mind, I'm going to talk a little bit today about a question that that I've struggled with from time to time in my life. Um, And even though I know the answer to it in my heart, it doesn't keep certain um, certain thoughts from entering my mind. Um, I might something I might experience something that's frustrating or confusing. And um, it'll come in, but I don't allow it to rest. I don't allow it to take hold. I don't ruminate on it. I don't spread it to other people. Um, And that's the difference. Um, So certain things might come to your mind, but it doesn't mean that you have to give it a home. 
and allow it to rest in your heart and in your soul. So uh, one I'm speaking specifically about is the fact that we are the product of and serve a very loving, very patient, very generous God. Um, and throughout the Bible, when you read the Bible, there are lots of uh, descriptions of God uh, punishing people for poor choices. And one of the things that I struggled with from time to time is God being all powerful and all knowing and um, and punishing people that he loves uh, sometimes for generations um, uh, of punishment for things that people did. So let's say somebody did something this year and a whole group of people get punished for a dozen years. Um, and um, and when I didn't wasn't into my Bible uh, at the way that I am now. Um, I struggle with that from time to time. So I'll share I'll share this. I'll share a little analogy, a little personal, um, some things that I've gone through in my life, maybe a little humor to it, and maybe it'll help you to understand it, or at least gives you something to um, to put on the shelf in case you get confused like I was in the past. I'm going to read very, very briefly. This comes from the book of Nahum. I think I'm pronouncing it right. N-A-H-U-M. And all I'm going to read is uh, Nahum chapter one, verses one and two. After I read one and two, I'll go into uh, my, you know, the reason that I stopped. Okay. Nahum chapter one, verse one reads, this message concerning Nineveh came as a vision to Nahum who lived in Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous God, filled with vengeance and rage. He takes revenge on all who oppose him and continues to rage against his enemies. So I'm going to stop right there. And I'm going to stop there because the first thing I have to get out is very, very important. Everything that happens, everything that I say after this, if you can't agree to this, then you're going to have trouble agreeing with any analogies or self-disclosures that I share with you. But the important thing you have to recognize is this. First and foremost, God does not get jealous the way that humans get jealous. God's jealousy is not the same as human jealousy. When people wrote the Bible, when that was shared and when it talks about uh, God being jealous um, for things that other people do and punishing them because of things that they do. My position is that God is not jealous the way that humans are. Sometimes we have to use the words that are available in a common, in a, you know, in a vocabulary to explain a message, a deeper meaning, but jealousy as it applies to human beings getting back for each other to each other or being betrayed and stuff. I don't feel that that now I don't feel that it perfectly applies to God. And, and I have a couple of reasons for believing that first and foremost, God isn't surprised. So the notion of God being betrayed, he can't be betrayed like humans betray others. If you promise somebody that you're going to pick them up, you're going to give them a ride to the game. And, um, and that person is sitting around waiting for you to pick them up in the rain like it's happened to me before and you never come. Well, that person that was sitting in the rain feels betrayed because they thought that you were going to pick them up. The Bible is consistent in saying that God is all knowing. God knows the end from the beginning. Therefore, anything similar, anything like betrayal or anything that relates to betrayal is different for God. He knew what I was going to do before I did it. He knew why I was going to do what I did before I even did it. And even though it takes me some time to get through the mess that I cause in my own life, that doesn't mean that it's a surprise to God. To understand how God deals with us, however, apply it, it requires us to talk in a way that we can relate to. 
Um, so again, even though the analogy of God's jealousy not being the same as human jealousy needs to be embraced. So take that, accept that, think about that. God can't be surprised by us. Now, the, but when the Bible talks about being troubled, you know, certain things, certain things that we do grieves the spirit. I think that speaks more to the fact that God gave each of us a soul. God gave each of us an eternal part of himself, a soul. And when we do things to grieve that eternal part of us that God gave us, then it grieves us. It grieves God. It grieves the God within us. And the God who gave part of himself witnesses that. And if you've ever, you know, you think about, well, I don't want to go too far in this direction, but uh, the spirit and the flesh, imagine that if the spirit and the flesh are working together, everything is good. But if something's wrong with the body, then sometimes the body will fight it. And when the body's fighting something that doesn't belong, you can feel sick, you can feel nauseous, you can get a fever, uh, thus forth, thus forth you know, so on and so forth. I think the same thing is true when we do things that grieve the soul that God give, gave us. The soul, the eternal part of us that's connected to God is betrayed by our flesh, is betrayed by the uh, impulses and inclinations that we have and the ultimate decisions that we make that grieve that soul. And that soul is like, wait a minute, I got to get I got to get this right. Just like your body, when it's fighting the flu, you get a fever because your white blood cells and everything is trying. Your immune system is, is striking a comeback. Well, we live in a world we live in a world of flesh and that has a lot of flesh and blood that we respond to more often. Uh, we're conscious of that. We don't always take enough fact uh, that there is a spiritual world that we live in, too. So if the spirit has been grieved then it's going to make the flesh grieve to get things closer to what normal is supposed to be. So that's kind of just like a, a medical type of uh, analogy uh, to explain how the spirit and the flesh can go at war, you know, can be at odds with each other. Um, again, and from the, from the original standpoint, God can't be, uh, can't be deceived or surprised like we as humans. Another thing is a bigger part, a bigger part that I wanted to talk about today is God being loving, God being compassionate, God being merciful. And so many things in the Bible that speak to saying that God is jealous and this, like it says, um, he takes vengeance on all who oppose him and continues to rage against his enemies. Uh, the Lord is a jealous God filled with vengeance and, and rage. Oh, let me ask you guys this. Let me ask everybody something. You own your own business. You're the boss. Or if you work somewhere and you're not the boss where you work at. Um, how can you be full of your employees? See, God created everything. Everything that we respond to, everything that we know, everything that we don't know. God created everything. God created time. God created heaven. God created hell. God created all life. So the Bible, one of the most quoted verses in the Bible is vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. Translation, vengeance is, is a tool that carries out the will of God for certain things. God cannot be full of vengeance if God is using vengeance or if vengeance comes and goes when God says it's okay. So the way that the, the wording of that is, again, it can be confusing if you want to look at it and say, well, oh, this is saying that God can be petty. No, God is not petty. I'm petty. You are petty and you are, you have limitations. You have spiritual limitations Cognitive limitations, just like myself. But to assume that God is petty, that God is jealous in the way that we are petty and jealous, that is inaccurate. It's not true. 
and to even get confused in thinking that it's possible could cause a lot of unnecessary pain and suffering in your life. Now, now thinking about how or why somebody that is wise and all knowledgeable would punish somebody, um, would, would, uh, would punish somebody, would allow bad things to happen, or would insist that bad or unpleasant things happen. I'll first go back to the to the medical analogy. If you're you nobody goes out and says, boy, I want to get a piece of that, I want to get a piece of that flu. Give me some of that pneumonia or give me some of that whatever disease you think about. Nobody goes out shopping for diseases. But we make choices and we go places and we put ourselves in situations where danger is there and it attaches itself to us like a parasite. And the end result is we'll get sick. And then when we get sick, our immune system fights it. And we also go to professionals to try to get the help that we need to help to take care of that uh, that infection. I, I would propose that the same thing is true for our life, for our spirits for the trajectory of our lives, the kind of path that we're walking on. I don't think that there, I don't think that there are very many people that would take the time to listen to this podcast who spend a a lot of time intentionally making their lives difficult. I just, I know that there are people that, that feel like if I can make something happen, even if it's bad, it proves that I have some power and there are people that do that. But I don't think that, most people that would take the time to listen to this podcast wake up every night, every morning thinking about how much damage they can do for themselves and others and go to bed meditating on how they look forward to making somebody else's life bad. I don't. So with that in mind, I would assume that a lot of scrapes and bumps that we run into and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, tragedies that we come into, we come into by accident. Not acts of intention, but acts of sometimes we experience consequences because we choose not to step up and do something that we know we should do. And sometimes we do something and we miscalculate the danger in it. We miscalculate the risk. And by miscalculating the risk, sometimes a lot of times God loves us and and protects us with his grace with his grace, what we don't deserve, but he loves us and and has enough power to save us from our consequences. And he does that a whole lot of the time. There are other times, there are certain occasions, however, where God will withhold his grace and allow us to experience some semblance of the consequences, at least some, um, some symbolic, um, uh, some symbolic uh, implementation of, of a consequence that we might have deserved based on something we did intentionally or unintentionally, like I said, by miscalculating something that we did. Now, the, the, no- <coughs> the notion of uh, God saying, I'm, you know, sometimes in the Bible it says that he's going to uh, pour out his wrath until he's satisfied. Again, you got to remember, go back to my first point. God is not jealous like we are. God doesn't, you know, some things that we, some ways that we try to understand and get closer to God um, leaves some room for interpretation. God, look at it, look at it this way. I am, um, I grew up with an old school family. Not just my mom and dad, but my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles were old school. I I thought about this and um, I can honestly say I wouldn't say it over the air if I didn't think it was true. I do think that in my lifetime, I have experienced close to 100 butt whoopings. <laughs> OK, um, I have had my butt whooped many times. And. I mean, some of you guys haven't had your butt whooped, and and that's good. But j- just just humor me, you know. If you haven't had a butt whooping, and if you absolutely know that there's not nothing good that can come of it, please don't whoop nobody. Don't whoop your kids. Don't 
because it's more it's more harm than good. Um, but anyway, in in my life, I've experienced many butt whoopings. And what happens? What usually happens is this. I promise that I'm going to do something and then I break that promise. Um, I promise not to do something and I do it anyway. Um, I'm warned that if I do a certain thing, then something, then I'm going to experience a butt whooping or some other type of punishment. Um, I express my attitude in a very disrespectful manner, um, blatantly disrespectful. Uh, in a way that I know that I wouldn't want somebody to talk to me. Um, or there have been, there were also some times where people said things that I did that I actually didn't do. Um, but my reputation preceded me and the butt whooping commenced because my reputation preceded me. And it was real easy to imagine me doing what I was accused of doing, of being what I was accused of do. So what would happen when I would get my butt whooped? I'm pleading, please, please don't. Please reconsider. Don't do it. I learned my lesson. Please don't. Then the licks would come. And I can tell you, you know, within the first couple of licks, I'm pleading. I'm begging for mercy. I'm making all kinds of promises. Oh, I I know what I did. I, I know I was wrong. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please stop. I could have got an Oscar for my performances. And, I, and when, that, when, when that fire was on my behind in the form of, those, of that belt, um, I was sincere. Every fiber in my being was sincere. I was completely aware of what I did and, and, the, and the patience that my parents had with me or my aunts had with me until... Uh, until they couldn't, you know, until they couldn't hold back the justice anymore. And now I have experienced one lick, two licks, three licks. Oh, please, please. I get it. I've changed my ways. I've changed my ways. Please make it stop. That's what hap That's what happens in the mind of someone who's getting their butt whooped. They're 100 percent convinced that coming so close to being pulverized and humiliated and. Um, and inflicted with pain, they are sincere that they know the steps that got them to that point where they needed a punishment and they will never walk down that path again. 100% every fiber in the, of the flesh is screaming, I won't do it no more. And like I said, that happened to me probably about 100 times. I wasn't lying when I was getting my butt whooped. But while I was getting my butt whooped, I again underestimated just how conditioned I was to do what's wrong. And and to be honest, I don't know how much my performances and my pleas for my uh, the authority figures to stop whooping my behind. I don't know if that resulted in them reducing my my uh, butt whooping by a stroke or two or 10. I don't know. But I just know that there was always a matter of it's coming. I know what it's coming for. If you give me this chance to prove myself without spanking my butt, I promise I won't do it again. Oh, goodness, this is real. It's happening. Man, this is terrible. Please listen to me. Please give me another chance to prove myself. And then it eventually stopped. Now, the butt whooping, the butt whooping analogy. I use my I will use my experience as a as a butt whooping survivor to apply to scripture when it talks about God and punishment. When a you know, there are times in the in the Bible where it talks about people collectively. Um, I, I mean, there's probably some times where it talk. It, well, yeah, there are times where it talks about people specifically going to get a specific punishment because of what they did specifically. But a lot of times there's also punishments about what what uh, groups of people have done for a long period of time and saying that <coughs> these consequences are coming. Well, well, I mean, again, just follow my butt whooping analogy. People ask God for mercy before the punishment happens. People ask for mercy if at the first sight, at the first uh, experience of those of those consequences, 
people beg for the punishment to stop when they're in the midst of the of the of the consequence or of God's judgment, as it's written in the Bible. And after a while, you know, the punishment, God will restore his grace and give people the chance to prove or to demonstrate that they actually did learn from the mistakes that they took leading up to the punishment or the discipline. And he gives with his grace, he re, he removes the pain and the suffering and once again gives individuals and groups uh, opportunities to use their free will to do what they know is the right thing. So if you look at it that way, why would God allow bad things to happen to innocent people? Um, why does God use punishment to uh, when people do bad? I can tell you what happened to me as a, you know, from butt whoopings. And if I didn't experience butt whoopings, it wouldn't, I, that doesn't mean that I would have never made a mistake. If my if my family never whooped my butt, I would have made mistakes of omission and commission. I would have made mistakes because I didn't know better. I would have made mistakes because I was determined to do it my way anyway. Um, the kind of discipline or the kind of consequence that I experienced might be, it. it's very, you know, it depends on the culture in which you're, you're going. And if and when you experience some consequence has a lot to do with the amount of grace that can be afforded to you, whether it, you know, I'm talking, you know, human beings right now, the kind of grace and the kind of leniency, the kind of opportunities you have to make it up, that's, you know, that could be cultural, you know, the, the parents or the whoever, the whoever, the whatever culture, whatever the culture dictates. Uh, is is necessary to hit the reset button and give that person the chance to prove themselves while also uh, implementing some kind of consequence for the actions. Whatever, however you want to look at it, if you are in charge of providing for, protecting, and mentoring people, you have a way of communicating uh, establishing rewards and consequences. You can agree or disagree about whether they are excessive or not strong enough, but there is a, we as human beings can relate to um, discipline and what goes into discipline. When people are being disciplined, most of the, a lot of the time, they underestimate just how bad they were acting. And a lot of the time, they very much feel like the person or the people that are punishing them are being insensitive, are being hypocritical, are being unjust and are abusing their power. That just comes with discipline. And that's why the fruit of the spirit is so important because the fruit of the spirit talks about patience, gentleness. It talks about self-control. And if I carry myself with respect for other people, if I'm patient when I deal with things that I don't like, when I have self-control, when I'm in the midst of something that I don't like, when I have self-control after I realize that I've made a mistake that's going to lead to a consequence and I'm able to self-correct, then I'm more likely than not moving away from the kinds of things that are going to warrant justifiable consequences. You know, unjustifiable consequences are called brutality and oppression. Justified consequences is a form of discipline. And if I'm communicating with people with the fruit of the spirit, if I'm meeting new people and demonstrating the fruit of the spirit in my communications with them, then I'm moving away from a culture that would be in line with experience some kind of punitive discipline for bad choices. So if I could put a, 
if I could put a ribbon on all of this, all I'm trying to say is God protects us from the the majority of the consequences that we deserve based on the choices that we make, the bad choices we make. We do experience we do experience discipline and everything that bad I'm don't I didn't say this, so I want to make sure I get this out there. Don't think I'm saying that every time something bad happens to you, it's because of something that you deserve because of something it relates to something bad that you do. It's a one for one thing. I'm not saying that. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that every time you experience something bad, it's because of something that you did just catching up with you. That is a completely different, distracting and illogical train of thought. And I'm not a part of that train. What I'm talking about is in the big scheme of righteousness, repentance, um, transformation, there's a learning curve. And when we're learning, there are times where discipline is necessary. The Bible does talk a lot about what a fool does with, with redirection and discipline. A fool rejects discipline. And an example of a fool is somebody that is getting their butt whooped over and over and over again. And they keep on saying it's mom and dad and aunt and uncle and granny and granddaddy's problem. They just don't like me. They just like somebody else more than they like me. I'm a victim here. That's, you know, if it, if that's not true, then you live in the life of a fool, you know, um, you know, but um, I, I guess looking at this, I'm going on 32 minutes of this. So I'll be quiet for now. And in a little while, we'll be going into the uh, lust of the eyes with Z time. All right. Welcome back to the nine points podcast. I am again, your host BH and I'm currently joined by the brother to my right known as King. How you doing? King. How you doing? Newbie has chosen uh, not to participate this time, but I'm sure that we're going to have a nice conversation anyway, and newbie will be joining us again in the in the near future. So, as uh, was alluded to in the previous podcast, um, we were do- we're going to do a three part series with with Z time. The first week we talked about the lust of the, of the flesh. Uh, today we're going to focus primarily on the lust of the eyes, and then. The next podcast during Z time, we're going to we're going to address the pride of life. Um, King, do you remember just kind of in a nutshell what you remember about the lust of the flesh, what it entails and um, how it's dangerous? What's dangerous? The lust of the flesh is like when you're craving for something and and it doesn't satisfy you. And as much as you try to get that feeling, it's just it's just not working. And then that person slowly begins to lose their sanity mm-hmm. to where to where they do evil things. Right. That's that's like when people choose money over it's like when people who love and have an obsession about money choose to do things just for getting something as low as twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what you're describing in general, you're talking about just lust in general. Lust is something that causes some, it's a, it's a craving that causes people to have a, an unhealthy craving for something and get so preoccupied with getting it that it causes them to lose focus on what they're actually giving up or what they're risking. And specifically, lust of the flesh has to deal with like flesh stuff. What's when we say lust of the flesh? I'm talking uh, um, flesh stuff of the flesh appetite. Like I want to feel this way, or it could actually even be I want to, you know, um, I want to eat that. I want to taste that. Um, something cravings for food. Yeah, cravings for food uh, or cravings, you know, for sex. or for jewelry, or for anything of that matter. Well, actually, uh, King, what we're going to talk about today has a lot to do with 
uh, a specific thing could be lust for jewelry, and that's like lust of the eyes. So just to make sure that we bring everybody up to speed, I'm going to read this section of 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to read 15, 16, and 17 to kind of reset the table so that everybody can know what we're speaking of. Again, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. This is coming from the NIV version, and it's this specific section. There's a little um, heading over the top of it that says, On not loving the world. And here we go. Do you want to read it or do you want me to read it? Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm fine either way, King. You tell me. I can read it. Okay. Do not love the world do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father it is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lies lives forever. All right. Thank you, King. So I want to make sure we spend a little bit of time addressing that first part, because sometimes we can get in trouble. Well, sometimes we or I have gotten in trouble for reading something literally that should be taken figuratively. And there are some things that I look at figuratively that should be taken literally. And I think a good way to ask yourself which one should be which is if you can, if it lines up with scripture, if the conclusion that you're making really lines up with scripture, um, then you can take it literally. But more often than not, uh, it seems like a number of things that that um, that are said in the Bible speak to us differently in different stages of our lives. What seems like an absolute ironclad way to interpret something when I'm 26 without children and going into the workforce after college is different. I'm reading the same thing and it still matters, but I look at it with a slightly different angle at 46 with, you know, post graduation with a family of my own. It doesn't mean that when I was 26 that I didn't care or that when I was 26 that I wasn't sincere. It doesn't even mean that when I was 26 that what I believed in my heart was even wrong. It just means that as we grow, God reveals things to us that we didn't have the ability to see before. And it's important to take things, to take growth within context, and to always have some degree of humility when we're learning. So um, I say all that to get back to verse 15, where it says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the father is not in them. Now, I don't read that today and come to the conclusion that that means that you should not appreciate people or that you should not appreciate freedom and opportunities that you have. I do not take that to mean that you should not appreciate the sacrifices that people make to to uh, safeguard our freedoms, to protect our freedoms. I don't think that means that you should not have respect for authority, even authority that you don't like or agree with. I don't take this specific verse, which I'll read again. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the father is not in them. I don't read that verse and come to the conclusion that God is saying that all you need to do from the time you wake up in the morning is eat, drink, Praise me, pray, praise me some more, eat, drink, and go to bed. I don't think that I don't think that that is at all what God is demanding of us when it says, uh, don't love the world um, because if you love the world, love for the Father is not in them. I think it boils down to the interpretation of love. If you put the world and the pursuit of worldly things before you put them before God, then that means that <clears throat> that means that my priorities are going to be world focused and not God focused. 
So again, I believe that we're supposed to be good stewards, being responsible, being respectful, and being humble and courageous when we have opportunities and when we want more opportunities to be appreciative of what we do have, to make the most of the resources that we have, to give God praise for what he's already worked out, and to carry ourselves with confidence, with confidence knowing that he's already taken care of and provided us with what we need. So if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. I take that to mean make sure you keep God first. As much as you love other people, as much as you love opportunities, don't forget where those opportunities came from. Don't think that just because you are blessed, you and I are blessed with the opportunity to be a part of our own deliverance from certain bad behaviors or certain bad habits that we might have. Don't make the uh, don't make the easy um, and false assumption that it is your hard work or my hard work or my discipline to finally get over myself that put me in a position where I'm no longer stumping my toe where I used to. It's a combination of being willing and being appreciative of the door that's been opened and remembering that it's God that put that that put you in a position to have that path that you find yourself on now. Now, I, I think I just said a whole bunch, but when I'm coming from the heart, that's kind of what I do. Um, are you can uh, King, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. What does that mean to you? It's referring to, I think it's referring to... Honestly, I'm like, not really sure. Like, do you think you can love people and be glad that you know stuff that you didn't know in the past and love God? Well, yes, I I do think that. Do you think that. Do you think that God wants you to be happy and to have uh, and to be appreciative of where you are and and have confidence in where you're going to go? Yes. Yes, all the time. Do you think that God wants us to remember that the most important thing is to have a proper focus on him and to do things that he puts on our heart that is right? The other world will... the. The rest of the world will disagree with me, but I agree with what you said. Okay. So the next part where it says for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the father, but from the world. I know what that means. It's referring to men. Men are the one. Men are the ones that what? Lust of the men are the one that. Men are the one that are, that are creating lust. Hmm. That's pretty strong. We create lust. We act on lust. We yield to lust. That's pretty strong. That's pretty strong, King. Now, uh, the lust of the eyes, that is being unhealthy having an unhealthy craving for what you see you remember that one of our uh, favorite books when you was a kid bossy bear yes i do remember it it was like every page you turn bossy bear was like he's shouting at he's shouting at all the other animals to give everything everything to him yep everywhere is like give me that that's mine Gimme, 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 gimme. And that's just all Bossy Bear did until the very end of the book, right? That's correct. And like lust of the eye, you can you can see this. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes is to kind of go around in life and 
regardless of what you have, if you see something else that is appealing to you, you want that too. To just be to be greedy and not even thoroughly appreciate what you have. That's what lust of the eyes is. It's like, ooh, that's good. I gotta have that too. Go ahead. Hmm. Well, I'm not sure about everyone else, but I I have some plastic food that I play with from time to time. It's satisfying and it helps my nerves. And I think and I think there's a reason dad is my my dad, which is BH. I think there's a reason BH wants me to to keep it down to keep it down from the levels I take because well this this could happen to me as well. I could have a really big obsession obsession about my about my props and next thing you know I just want more and more and more and I might lose control of that. You know what, King? I had no idea that you that you were gonna gonna go there and reveal that in a personal way, and talk about how something something that you do that brings comfort to you can get out of hand. Um, those of you that that might not remember, King is on the spectrum, and from the time he was a child, before he could even talk, he loved to have something in his little fingers. He loved to have something in his hand, in his fingers to fidget with. And in, in the medical field, well, in, in mental health, those are called anxiety binders. Um, people, you know, there are a lot of different things people do to soothe their anxiety. And one of the things that King does is he'll have props and he'll just jiggle those props, jiggle those props. And we've talked a lot about if you have props in your hand, it's hard to have something else in your hand. And if you have a job, you're going to have to learn how to balance that craving to uh, self-soothe with those props, with being able to tolerate uh, doing other things, other things with your time and with your resources than holding those props. As, as uncomfortable as it might be, to be in certain situations, you have to challenge yourself a little bit at a time so that you can endure um, the new responsibilities that will come to you the older you get in life. So that's what he's alluding to. Um, And how that relates to this is too much of a good thing can become a bad thing, right? That is correct. Too much of a good thing can become a distraction, correct? Yes. Like, Like in scripture, you know. There's flat earthers out there. Some of them are Christian like us, but that's because they take they take some of the scripture out of context. And yeah, flat earth is a distraction. If if you're not reading about the shape of the earth correctly, I'm not talking about the earth. I'm not it's we're still on topic. I'm just giving out an example. Okay. Hope y'all getting all that. This is King getting deep. This is King sharing of himself and, and I've making this personal. Flat earthers before. Uh, flat earthers. Well, I, yeah, I, I can't. I can't really speak to a whole lot of people to do that, but I can speak to the whole thing about lust of the eyes and how it can get you in trouble. And I'm gonna u- just use the analogy. Um, I read some scripture, and, and I mean, it's some, a lot of times it's in the Bible that talks about how when people uh, get delivered from bad situations, and then over time they pick up new bad habits, God punishes them in a big way. Then God punishes the people that were mean to them and gives them gives them gives us new opportunities. And and you know, throughout the Bible, that pattern happens over and over and over again. But being that I'm a father, I can relate to that. When I read that stuff, I, when I read it today um, and when I thought about it today or when some thoughts occurred to me today, this is something that I want to share. And as it relates to the lust of the eyes, I am. I tell King that I want him to go and do something. 
I tell him, I tell King I want him to wash the dishes. King knows how to wash the dishes. I've showed him how to wash the dishes. I've seen him do it by himself. He knows how to do it. However, King also wants to, I'm just going to make something up. King also wants to play his video game. So the fact that I'm asking King to take care of this, King might miscalculate. And in his mind, he might say, well, I'll do it when I feel like doing it. Or he might complain to himself or say, say out loud, I don't really feel like doing that right now. But the fact is, I am asking him to do something that I know he has the ability to do. Now, King might be distracted, the lust of the eyes. He might be distracted by playing his video game or he might be distracted by this video game and then wanting to call and talk to somebody on the phone. In his mind, he might be saying, I'll get to it. I just don't want you to try to make me do it now. Well, if King does this and he keeps putting it off and the next thing you know, a lot of time has passed, I might stop what I'm doing, come to his room or go to wherever he is, take what's in his hand away from him, march him in front of the sink, tell him you are going to wash these dishes right now. And oh, by the way, since you didn't do what I asked you to do, you're going to be without those things for a while. And I don't care how upset you are because you have upset the trust that I had. I had trust that you were going to do what I asked you to do, what you had the power to do, and what would not have cost you much. But since you've done something to trouble our relationship, I'm going to do something to trouble our relationship so that you'll remember it. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't love King anymore. But because he miscalculated, he might be, you know, if I come to the room or and say, oh, he, he might hurry up and get off the phone or he might hurry up and turn it off and say, OK, I'll do, I'll do it now. I'll do it now. Well, sometimes when daddy comes in the room and when mama comes in the room, I'll do it now. It's too late. You had time to do it. You had ample time to do it. And all that grace that you were given to take care of, to tie up your loose ends and then come and do what mom and dad asked you to do. You ignored all that for all that time. And if daddy or mom decides to put the hammer down, you can say, well, you didn't give me a chance. You don't have to do all of that. Well, yeah, I don't have to do all of that, but I'm choosing to. Because right now, with me taking something from you that you didn't earn yourself, you got it was a gift from me. Uh, this time for you to deal with it is a gift from me. Um, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it because I'm stepping into your world since you shut me out of yours. And since I know that you're going to think about this thing that you're losing, maybe you'll also think about what it is that I ask you to do from time to time. And maybe you'll be more motivated to do it. But see, when you have the when you're saturated with the lust of the eyes and but I just 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 let me finish. Just let me finish this. Just let me finish this. Then you might mess around and put off what's really important. And if you keep on putting God off, if you put off what's important, what God has put on you to do, then who's to say that he might not step into your life and take away your anxiety binder, or it might take away your favorite prop or your favorite thing to do, or he might allow trouble to come into your favorite relationship. Now, what do you think about all of that, King? That is very, that is very true. However, the thing is, when I have to do something, I'll do it. Yeah. I can vouch for that. I will say that. King is very good when it comes to chores. And if I ask him to do something, he will stop what he's doing and go ahead and do it. Um, <coughs> a lot, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times better he's at, he is at doing that sort of thing than I was. But I wanted to just share the analogy of a child coming to correct a disobedient a parent coming to the, um, correct a disobedient child to show that sometimes sometimes authority steps in and disrupts your comfort zone because you keep on putting off what you need. You keep on putting off what you need because you're distracted with what you see and what you think you can't be without. 
But what you really can't be without is the righteousness that that God is calling you to do. So that, ladies and gentlemen, puts us really we're at the 23 minute mark of talking about lust of the eyes with Z time. And the more that I'm thinking about this, I might I might kind of break this up instead of trying to put these two sections together. I might have these as two standalone podcasts because uh, this is putting us close to an to an hour between the segment that I did first and this one. But King, what do you think about this so far? What do you think about this? Let me read it. Read this one more time and you give closing closing thoughts on it. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. A couple of things that stand out to that scripture, and then we'll let the good people go home. Okay, if you see that scripture, don't take it too literal. Instead, instead make sure make sure what make sure you really think about what you're going to do. If you're if you're looking forward to getting something, then just just think about it and Make sure you're you're not obsessive about it. And if it's and if it's another person make sure make sure you still have trust in God. Make sure you have trust in God. It and it doesn't mean that you it doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to have respect and really, really appreciate other people, does it? That that's right. When it says don't love the world and everything in the world, that's not really saying that it's not it's not saying that if you're doing something that isn't well, let me put it this way. For those who eat, sleep, eat, drink, praise God do the same thing and then sleep wait a minute you're sleeping and when you're sleeping you're not praising god so so what does that mean don't take don't take that literal don't take that don't take that literal do what god puts on you to do and remember that it's not the desires of the flesh that will give you the true satisfaction that you looking for. What's really going to satisfy you is when you are moving on what God puts in your heart and the way that God asks us to live, he gives us the fruit of the spirit. And when we can use the fruit of the spirit <coughs> in our relationships, in our prayers and in our private time, then it helps us to really appreciate and make the most out of the resources that are in our lives. The grace that we realize we didn't work for. They were the grace that was given to us and, and being appreciative of being possible, uh, possibly contributing to our own, you know, our own deliverance, being a part of uh, the solution to our problems as opposed to the root or the the root cause or the main architect in continuing the stressors that we find ourselves in. So that's all I've got. I think this was a good one and I'm looking forward to newbie returning. She just had a rough couple of days. She couldn't she couldn't get it together and join us today, but she'll be back. You got anything to, anything else to say, King? Oh, she'll be back. <laughs> Hopefully, she'll do better. And I hope that some of the silliness she did is... Uh, I'll just say right now. I hope some of the silliness that she does can decrease. She can definitely be herself, but 
Keep it down a little. Act your age. And that is the wisdom of an older brother. Ladies and gentlemen, please remember, wealth is to be spent, but treasure is to be shared. God bless you. Thank you for joining the Nine Points Podcast. Goodbye.